So I've been drinking the tap water for a long time, uh, more than a month, and I noticed there was a weird taste to it. And the more time went on, the more that that taste got really strong in the tap water in our apartment. And then after a while, they just shut the water off completely, like for days. And we we were going without water for like four or five days. And so we looked up our friends from the church and we asked them, we said, hey, do you know why they, they shut the water off here in the city? And they said, oh, didn't you hear the news, David? They found a troop in the city's uh, cistern, the, the water system. So I had to go get my dictionary and I had to look up what the word troop was. And I found it and I almost threw up. Because troop in Russian means corpse. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, we spent a year together in Russia. And it's stuck with us ever since. Russia became a permanent part of who we are. Through the good and the bad, we found the motherland to be a place like no other. Consider this podcast our love letter to Russia. I'm David. And I'm Grant. And this is To Russia With Love. Yeah, I remember that. That was such a funny moment. Um, especially since, since uh, we've had fights about water already uh oh yeah i don't know i I mean i'm I'm sure you remember this dave but uh i can vividly remember murph and i arguing with you in the middle of a a little store a grocery store we we wanted to buy a water filter for our our tap water and uh you were being stubborn about it uh I i remember you saying something like we can't live like like uh rich Americans over here. We need to fit in and, and be exactly <laughs> like everyone, all the r- normal Russian people here. And, uh, Oh, I, I was so, I was digging my heels in, man. That was the hill I was going to die on. I was like, we are not going to buy some decadent American Brita water filter. Nobody has that here. It, which was really funny because literally every home we went into, they had a water filter on their spigot. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were the only poor guys on the block who didn't have a water filter. Yeah, but instead, uh, Murph and I were boiling our water. We'd boil water, and then we would bottle it, put it into plastic bottles that we got, and stick it in the fridge so that way we could have cold water whenever we wanted to. Uh, we we were just a little bit nervous. Uh, we had never lived anywhere before. You had spent a lot of time in Mexico before this, so I think you were used to, uh, you know, just drinking the water and getting sick and getting over it and getting used to it. But we were, we were, we were playing it a little bit safe. Yeah. And I remember I tried boiling it at first, but I just got sick of the whole process because it was like, you had to do this whole thing where you boil it and then wait for it to cool down. And sometimes I'd wake up at night, you know, that it was, the weather was getting hot at the time when we moved there and, and I'd wake up and feel thirsty, and I would have to go through this whole like hour process of boiling it and then waiting for it to cool down, and it just wasn't refreshing at all. Yeah. So now here in Mexico, um, you know, you don't drink the tap water. Nobody does. But uh, but I asked people in Russia, in Engels, I said, "Hey, is it okay to drink the tap water?" And all of our friends, they said, "Yeah, it's fine. It's totally safe to drink." So I just started drinking it straight out of the tap. Yeah. The other option I remember that we had was going down to the little kiosk and buying bottled water. And we gave up on that because we would go and buy a big, like two liter thing of bottled water 
and we were expecting it, you know, to be nice, refreshing, good tasting. Um, but first of all, it was never refrigerated. So it was always warm, at least <laughs> lukewarm. And then half the time, whenever we would open it up, we would hear the sound of death, which sounds like this, which meant it was carbonated. And oh, that was the worst, worst feeling when you heard that sound. It was so horrible. I remember, I remember just like pouring out a whole bottle of, of water, <laughs> which, which probably reinforced the decadent American lifestyle that I was living. But, uh, oh, I, yeah. I could not drink the carbonated water, especially when it was lukewarm there. I hated it. So we, we just resorted to boiling it until this time when our water just totally got turned off and we were wondering what the heck is going on here is this normal yeah and we we realized in that first couple months there were a couple times that you know the water would shut off or the electricity would shut off and uh, and the irony of all that is that we were living on the volga river which is the longest river in europe yeah and sometimes we just didn't have water yeah it was it was like that saying uh Water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, our town, uh, we were living in the town of Angles, which was across the Volga River from Saratov, which is the big town. And uh, so we could almost see the river from our window. It was like the, the whole town kind of revolved around river life. The Volga was a big deal. Dave... Why don't you tell us some information about the Volga River? Well, the Volga is the longest river in Europe, and the Volga is really significant for Russian culture. Uh, Russian history, literature, there are all these folk songs in Russia that talk about the Volga River. And uh, the, the word for it that you find a lot in Russian literature, folk tales, they call it Volga Matushka, which means Mother Volga. And the Russian word for Volga, it comes from this ancient uh, word in the Proto-Slavic language, which is the language that eventually evolved into Russian and Ukrainian and Bulgarian, Czech, tons of other Slavic languages. And the old word Volga means wetness or moisture. The Volga River basically goes all the way through Russia. It goes from uh, up north all the way down to the Caspian Sea. And there's 11 of the 20 biggest cities in Russia, including the capital Moscow. Historically, the Volga River has been one of the main modes of transportation in Russia. In World War II, uh, which in Russia is known as the Great Patriotic War, the Volga River was key, and it was a turning point for the Russian forces, for the Allies. Uh, the battle that was at the city of Stalingrad, which is now called Volgograd, is right on the Volga River, and the Germans were fighting tooth and nail to capture that city, because if they could control that city, they could control the river. And if they controlled the Volga River, they controlled Russia. Being that the Volga River is the longest river in Europe, it oftentimes gets put placed next to other large rivers around the world. For example, the Nile River, or the Yellow River, or the Mississippi in uh, our own 
backyard here in the United States. In fact, uh, when we were in Russia, we did a concert series uh, with some local musicians, and they were really excited uh, to name the concert series the Mississippi Volga, which was kind of funny to us because we weren't we didn't live anywhere near the Mississippi. We lived in California, but we did live right there on the basically the shores of the Volga River. And the Volga is also really significant for me personally and for my family because my family comes from the Volga River. My ancestors, my great-grandparents, they were from an ethnic minority in Russia uh, that was known as the Volga Germans. And these were people who left Germany in the 1700s. Uh, Tsar Catherine of Russia invited Germans to come settle the southwest part of Russia. So thousands and thousands of people left Germany and moved to southwest Russia, and they settled along the Volga River. And to this day, that ethnicity, which then kind of mixed with Slavic Russians and really became its own ethnicity, uh, we're still referred to as the Volga Deutsch, Volga Germans. You know, uh, the song that we're listening to at this part right here is called the Volga Boatman song. It's an old folk song. Uh, it's very popular, not only in Russia, but you hear it around the world. In fact, I remember growing up singing a, a version of it to Happy Birthday, kind of a, a somber birthday song talking about one year older and and getting closer to death. But uh, Dave, can you tell us, what are they singing about here? So this, it's a song that the boatmen would sing to keep, uh, keep the rhythm of their rowing as they rowed down the river. So the main part of the song in Russian, they say, which means is kind of a rhythmic chant to row by. It's sort of like saying heave ho in English. And then the next part is one more time, one more time. And then there are different verses that talk about uh, chopping down the stout birch tree and and pulling it onto the boat and uh, walking along the banks and singing our song to the sun. And at the very end, it actually mentions uh, Mother Volga, Volga Matushka. And uh, that phrase that you hear in so many Russian folk tales and, and literature, it's in the song too. So there's almost this personification of the Volga as this giver of life, as this uh, conscious entity that you pay respect to because it's so significant for Russia and Russian history. So even though we were in such close proximity to this giver of life, this Mother Volga, we had to deal with death in our water. <laughs> right, Dave? <laughs> yeah, that's and that's when I noticed, uh, I think it was around late May, I noticed that weird taste in the tap water. And of course, genius me I, I kept drinking it anyway i said it's not a big deal we can't be decadent americans we can handle a little weird tasting tap water but then it shut off you figure it might have been like you know some rust in the pipes or something like that who knows how old 
the pipes were in our not not just our apartment, but in the municipal water system there in our town. Yeah, I can handle a little little Soviet rust that never hurt anybody. Yeah, you get a little bit of minerals and vitamins there. But uh, they turned it off, and we're we're at least a week without water. Um, I remember uh, having some friends over and having to go buy some of the bubble water that we got and washing off vegetables in the sink with that to be able to cook up dinner for our friends, our guests who we had over. Yeah, now that's decadent American lifestyle, using mineral water to wash your vegetables. <laughs> uh, what, but at the same time, we weren't, we weren't taking showers. We weren't able to bathe. We were brushing our teeth with the mineral water. It was, it was a strange week, that's to say the least. We had that, that little washing machine we had bought, and it was like the size of a trash can. Yeah. And you would, you would fill it up from the tub with a hose, and we luckily we hadn't finished doing a load when they shut the water off, and so we just used the you know the colored water from our clothes, and we would use that to flush the toilet, like dig a dip a bucket into that and flush the toilet for number two. Yeah, that, like only when we really needed to. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember we would we would probably pee and just not do anything, just let it sit. But when we when we had to poop. <laughs> We got to get that water from yeah, if there. If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Flush it down, Dave. That, that was our life. And so we were trying to figure out, like, dude, how come the water's gone? And that's when we ask our friends what happened, and they tell me that they found a throop in the cistern, and I learned that throop means corpse. I remember laughing so hard when I found out about that, and you'd been drinking this water all along. It felt like justice to me. You wouldn't let us buy a water filter. Well, there you go. You get to drink. You get to drink body water. Oh, that sucked. And they told us that, according to the news, that the throop had been in the cistern for at least a month. So, like, literally the entire time I'd been drinking the tap water, I'd been drinking corpse water. You remember the drawing that your brother drew after you told your family about it? Yeah, my I, my little brother, who was, uh, you know, probably six or seven. At the time, I told my family, and he drew this picture, and, and it was uh, basically the body in the water. And it was really funny. The The eyes were falling out, and the brains were... It was coming out of the tap of our sink, and, and I just thought it was hilarious that that was kind of what he, as a little guy, kind of latched onto my experience in Russia. I remember the the one of the guy. It's a dude filling his glass from the tap, and there's like an eyeball coming out. And then there's this thing, and your brother labeled it brain, like this entire brain is coming out of the tap into his glass. And, and yeah. he, the guy's smiling and the sun's shining. Yeah, that guy was probably supposed to be you because you were the one drinking out of the tap. <laughs> your dad had a fun kind of uh, reaction to it too, I think, right? Yeah, he, he sent me an email after he found out about it. And it was one of his more creative moments. It, he wrote it like an ad for a microbrew for for a beer from the Volga River, and he called it Pale Rider. <laughs> and it was it was really funny. I haven't been able to find that email. But it was, you know, written up like a Coors beer ad. It was like, what's the secret to a good beer? The Volga Germans from southern Russia know it's in the water. Yeah. And he had all these funny euphemisms about, like, the water gives our beer real body and, and like, a full-bodied beer and plenty of iron and nutrients. Oh, it was really funny. I wish I could find that email. Pour pour a cup and get a nice nice head on the top, head of foam on the top, <laughs> stuff like that, right? Yeah, I think he said something something about head and body and 
everything corpse related. Yeah. Well, that and was incidentally that what incidentally that wasn't even the last time I drank corpse water in my life. <laughs> On a, a side note, there's a hotel in downtown Los Angeles, and this it's another story of me cutting costs and going with the cheapest option. It's the it was called the Cecil Hotel. And it was just this really scary, super cheap hotel with like a shared bathroom down the hall. And it only costs like 30 bucks a night. But it was in Skid Row, like in the scariest part of downtown Los Angeles. And and I would stay there when I had to work in L.A. And I would always drink the tap water there, too. Well, later on, I found out there was this story that, that became famous of this young lady, Elisa Lamb, from Canada. And she disappeared in that hotel and months later, they found her in the cistern. They found her body floating in the water tank on top of the hotel. And I went back to the dates, and I realized that I stayed in the Cecil Hotel when the body was in the cistern. So that was the second time I had corpse water, and oh, hopefully man. the last. I hope I hope you didn't develop a taste for it. Yeah, not not yet. I haven't gotten the craving yet. Oh. But I don't know. Any day now. Who knows? <laughs> you know, that was just the tip of the iceberg. We... We came and that was around the time that the honeymoon of living in Russia kind of wore off. Uh, those first right. few months all of a sudden just kind of hit us. And, you know, it felt like, okay, instead of things being different in like a fun way, things were starting to be different in a, in a really difficult way for us to deal with. Yeah. Tell, tell folks about our apartment when, because uh, as you mentioned, I I had lived in a lot of different places and, some parts of Mexico that were, you know, very sparse conditions. So I was kind of used to that. But I remember you and Grant, you you and Murph, you are Grant. I remember you and Murph when uh, when we first walked into our apartment and you saw it, you guys were both just like, are you freaking kidding me? This is where we're going to live? Yeah. We uh I think before we came to Russia, I think we all raised I think the total that probably all of us raised together was maybe $12,000 and that was going to be what we would live on for the year. So three young men living on $12,000 for a year. So we were doing everything on a budget. Um, and the apartment that we got, uh, we got a great deal because it was connected to someone in the church, but it was old. It was, it was built during the Soviet times. And so it kind of had a Soviet feel that you get to it. You, you, you see all these, uh, images of Soviet apartments being these big block cement block structures. And that was kind of like what ours was. And we walk in and there was linoleum on the floor, but you, you kind of peel some of it up and you'd see another layer underneath it. And then another layer under that and another layer. <laughs> so whoever was living there before us, you know, would just do layer upon layer instead of, you know, ripping it out and redoing it. Same thing with the wallpaper. We had wallpaper that was peeling everywhere. Um, wet spots kind of coming from the ceiling maybe the maybe the people living above us their bath overflowed or toilet overflowed or something but um <laughs> we but besides that the furniture that we had in our apartment we had a a kitchen table we had yep three little stools <laughs> um in the kitchen we had three bowls three plates three forks three spoons Maybe not even three like knives, maybe one knife, maybe two knives. The three bears, the three bears kitchen. The, yeah, it was so, it was the three, we were, yeah, we were the three bears and, and we had just enough for ourselves. Um, I think 
we didn't even have beds at the time when we moved in. There was some mattresses on the floor, and these were not the like mattresses. These were not like Serta mattresses that you get here in the states. You know that are um, six inches tall with springs in them. These were like two inch thick cotton mattresses that had probably been used and been around for over 30 years so uh oh i'm sure they were from the the soviet army they were they were like those old soviet uh like in in spanish they're called colchonetas which is like a smaller thing than an actual mattress an actual colchon yeah they were like yeah they're just super thin i don't even know what they were stuffed with but yeah they were like worn and stained from all these stains of whatever Soviet soldiers had slept on them in the 1980s or 70s. Yeah, they looks like like a army surplus kind of stuff that you would get at a Russian army navy store or something. But right. uh, that was that was basically all that we had in that room. We I don't even think when we first moved in we had any types of wardrobes. There were no closets. Uh, those you don't build in closets in in Soviet apartments. You bring in a wardrobe and that becomes your closet. But uh, we tried right. to make it make it as nice as possible. I remember taping some pictures, you know, of family up on the wall. Um, the girl that I was talking to at the time, you know, some things to try to at least have some sense of normalcy and and uh, happiness in our lives. But it it was it was tough. And then we, you know, you every... had a picture of Wesley Willis to keep you company. I remember. Yeah, I was a big Wesley Willis fan, and so I... yeah, anything to remind us of home. But everything was different. You know, we didn't have a car. We took the public transportation. We had to figure that out basically on our own as well. Um, and and public transportation basically meant buses without any air conditioning. In the summer, it would get so hot. Everybody was sweating, and people would just pack on the butt onto the bus. There were no limits of of how many people would get on. So you'd get as many people as were willing to pay get in that bus. So it was stinky. It was hot. Um, we would drive through town, and there was a part of town that had a, a, a glue factory. So it, that stank also. <laughs> uh, it, we, we were finding quickly that it wasn't the life that we experienced in those first two weeks when we were there. And yeah, all the, the reality of things was really hitting us really quickly. That And plus those, those first two weeks, I mean, we were living it up in the bathhouse and meeting new people, and we were rock stars. Yeah. We were playing these concerts with the church. And so it was, like, not a good thing to base your first impressions of what is life going to be like in this new place. Yeah. It, even Even figuring out how to communicate was was difficult and you Dave you you had had already learned multiple languages so you knew how to how to figure it out but even you I think had some tough times I th- I thought I knew how to figure it out I I got cocky because I by that point I spoke four languages already and so I was I was like this is going to be a piece of cake I'll just keep studying Russian uh in the year leading up to moving there and I did I studied it regularly but uh, when I would go into my books back in California, I would find all these weird grammatical things. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to bleep over that stuff and I'll figure it out later on. Like, it, it can't be that important. And I learned out it was really important. <laughs> because in Russian, like, there is so much that is complicated about the Russian language. 
And one of the big things is something called uh, cases and declensions. You remember those from from the lessons, the declensions and cases? I've tried or to forget in Russian. I've tried to forget those. Those were the bane of my existence. Those first six months. <laughs> oh, they're the worst. With so what that means, uh, basically, is that every word has seven different forms of that word. So it's not enough to just learn the word for ice, or the word for chair or woman because the word for like a, a young lady zevushka you you can't just get by knowing zevushka because if she is doing the action in the sentence it's zevushka if you're with her it's zevushkoi it's zevushkoi if you're doing something to her it could be zevushkia or it could be zevushku depending on if she's the indirect or the direct object of the sentence and so there's these seven different forms of words that you have to learn for every new word it's it's like you have to learn seven new words every time you're learning a new word. Yeah. And it wasn't always a simple just change of the prefix or the suffix. It would it would, that would change also depending on other aspects of the word as well. So you never you could never just plug it in and and put that part in and make it right. Right. And so that just made it impossible for for like basic stuff and some of that like it all goes back to water. It all comes back to these these basic things like like water, like ice. When we would go to a, a place, um, there was this little burger joint, uh, Royal Burgers, and they had these great little greasy sliders. And I wouldn't call them great, but for where we were <laughs> and the situation we were in, they were they were doable. Yeah, actually, as I recall, I think those first couple of months, I really hated them. But I, I developed a taste for them eventually. <laughs> but it was like the, close, the closest thing to a hamburger that we could find. So in Saratov, there were no foreign restaurants. There were no uh, like American chain restaurants, no McDonald's. And so the closest thing to like a fast food burger joint that we could find was this little Royal Burgers place. And so that was kind of our, our refuge. I think they even had air conditioning, which was great in the summer. Yeah. And so we would go there. They had Russian MTV playing on the, on the TV screens. We could watch music videos. And we would go, and all I wanted was just a Coke with ice. And I could never get it right. Because the word ice, the word itself is liod. But when you're saying with ice, it's saldom. It doesn't even sound like liod anymore. And I could never get the declension right. And if you want it without ice, you would say biezalda. Again, like, doesn't sound like liod. And so I would just try to cheat, and I would say "liod," but it never made sense. They never got me when I said "liod." Yeah. And they were like, it just—it sounds like you're just saying the word "ice," like you're just saying that ice exists as a concept. <laughs> and it, and it, it's it's funny because I mean, here we are speaking like two-year-olds, but we just couldn't communicate. We couldn't get that point across that we wanted ice in our coke, and they would see us. And these were these were like in the same thing at that place. You get teenagers working there, who you know may right. not may not be the brightest anyway. But they see this grown adult talking like a two year old, and they would become deer in the headlights, and they would freeze and not understand what we were saying either, right? <laughs> yeah, because they were like, "Oh, these are the guys who can't talk. We got to deal with this again." Yeah, and and something I realized, like Engels and Saratov, these are not tourist destinations. So people are not used to see, to dealing with foreigners. Yeah. Like just the, the idea of having someone who can't speak Russian is so unusual. You know, it's kind of like, I think in the States in some parts, you know, where people will say like, 
English, you know, we speak English here. And, you know, there's a part of that that's true, but uh, Russia, just like the United States, is an extremely diverse place. And there are pockets that are where you get less of that. You know, um, I lived in Montana when I grew up, and we wouldn't get people from Mexico or any other countries up there. We'd maybe get someone from Canada, but uh, Canada, yeah. Canada versus Montana, there's not much difference. But uh, it was right. it was similar there. We were right in the middle of Russia, hun- hundreds of miles away from any border, um, and they wouldn't get white guys who couldn't speak Russian, basically. Yeah, they just didn't know what to do with us. Yeah, I remember... Again, I went into it assuming that I could figure things out really easily. And what my main reference point was all the time I had spent in Mexico. And and Russia was not as user-friendly as Mexico is. It was not as easy to stop a stranger on the street. Like like in Mexico, if you're lost, you can walk into any store or stop a stranger on the street and ask for directions. And they'll not only give you directions, I mean, they'll probably invite you to live in their house and... <laughs> And, you know, eat at their table. Yeah. But that was not the case in Engels. Like, I would walk into stores if we were lost, and, and I said, hey, I'll just ask these guys how to get to the bus stop. And I would walk into the store speaking with my weird accent. I'm I'm speaking all strange. And they would just look at me really suspiciously and be like, what is this guy's deal? And a lot of times people would just say, hey, are you going to buy something or not? Yeah. Like, get the hell out of here if you're not going to buy something. Yeah, it was kind of a just very, suspicion. There was a suspicion. There was a, a a sense of hey, I'm trying to do my job here. Quit bugging me, kind of a thing. There wasn't a lot of there wasn't right. a lot of room for being a dumb American in the the place where we were. Yeah, yeah, very off the beaten path. This was not Moscow, not Saint Petersburg. This was like old school Soviet culture in Southwest Russia. I remember my accent was was so strong, some people assumed that I was from the Caucasus Mountains, which is, you know, the, the southern part of Russia, which has, they have their own languages there. Uh, Russian is a foreign language for a lot of the Caucasus. And I, one time at night, we were at a bus stop, and I was trying to ask somebody something, and they were staring at me. And then this dude came up, and he looked Caucasian, which folks in the States might not know, a true Caucasian doesn't look white. Caucasians are have a darker complexion, um, it looks more similar to sort of a Middle Eastern complexion. And this Caucasian guy walked up to me, and he was really happy. And he said, oh, you're from the Caucasus too. Allahu Akbar, brother. Yeah. You know, the, we did just say that there wasn't a lot of great hospitality, but that was one example of somebody finding someone who they thought was like them and was very hospitable. I had a, I had one person that was just always excited to talk to me, and that was my... Russian teacher Mike. You remember Mike? <laughs> oh yeah, Mikhail Sergeyevich. What a funny guy. So this guy was an English teacher in the in the high school of of the town Miasakambinat Meat Factory. Right. He loved everything American. He told us that he would get in fights with other teachers between about whether American English or British English was correct and he would die on the fact that American English is the best. It is the right English. <laughs> and uh, we, we kind of didn't have the heart to tell him that, well, you know, British English kind of came first, but, you know, it's okay. But, uh, but he, he loved us, and uh, when we got connected with him, he brought us into his home and, and would t- 
teach Murph and I especially. But uh, we would go there, and we would take a few buses to get to his place. We'd have to do a little bit of walking through uh, muddy streets, get up to his apartment. And um, it was funny because even though he was really nice, a really nice guy, those in, those Russian lessons was a source of frustration for us as well. Yeah, what was that like? Because you guys went in knowing next to no Russian. You you had studied a very little bit. Yeah. But it was like really new for you guys. So what were those lessons like? Yeah, I had never learned a, a foreign language before. I, I took Spanish in high school, but I I kind of just skated by on that. So being thrown into it was kind of uh, terrifying. And we would go and meet with him. And since he was an English teacher, I don't know if he had a different way of teaching, but uh, the words that he would try to teach us in Russian just didn't make any sense. It was words like fabrication. Like, why would we, <laughs> why would we ever need to learn that word? Like, can you please tell me how to buy some cheese at the market? Yeah, find a toilet, find the bus. <laughs> a third of our lesson was him basically correcting us on our pronunciation we would try to say a word and he would get angry and say no that's not how you say it it's this way but to my ears what he was saying sounded exactly like what i was saying so that was a third of our lesson the other third was him just wanting to talk to us in english since he loved americans so much and then the last third which was really frustrating didn't have anything to do with language at all he would just turn on his tv and show us all of his satellite channels that he had. He was really proud that he had so many satellite channels, especially the uh, the adult channels, which uh, he would sometimes go to, and Murph and I would kind of look at each other and politely ask him to get back to language. We didn't really care to to watch watch <laughs> porn in his in his living room with him. I was there I was there one of the times that he, he turned on his porn channel and I remember he just, he pointed at it and then turned his head back to us with this big, goofy smile, like like a 12-year-old kid who's seen a naked woman for the first time. Yeah, it was bizarre. And we were like, can we, can we move on with the, the language stuff, maybe? Yeah. The one thing that I did catch on, I think, with language was, uh, <laughs> was the ruskimat, which is uh, basically... The bad words? Bad words, the Russian bad words. Um, I hung out eventually with uh, some kids in town who were a little bit rough. Um, some of them were kind of gutter punk type of kids. They'd get their leather jackets and their patches. And uh, being a musician, they kind of gravitated to me. And so we would talk and hang out and in our broken English and Russian, get to know each other. But they would teach me all the bad. I remember our friend, our, our friend Abrama from the church called them goblini, the goblins. The goblins, Yeah. <laughs> They were they would teach me all the bad words and so I knew I knew all the bad words which uh before we moved to Russia I read up a little bit about Russian language and there was a priest um I think a Catholic priest it may have been Father Walter Sizek who came to Russia he was an, an American born Catholic priest he came to Russia and was almost immediately sent to a gulag this was uh oh wow during the cold war he they the the authorities thought he was a spy and um and so he basically learned russian in the prison system and so as a priest uh people said and and uh, forgive me if it wasn't him i i was looking looking him up today to try to confirm this but uh whoever it was was the priest with the dirtiest mouth 
they said, <laughs> Be- because he learned all his. <laughs> he learned all the prison slang. Learned like all his words in like the prison. Prisoner. Yeah, which w- which which was interesting because I had then heard, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, these gutter punk types of kids that I knew, or or uh, just the normal salt of the earth type of people who would speak and would throw in bad language just like it was nothing. And it was nothing. You know, it didn't really mean anything to a lot of people. So to be able to understand some of the common people, you kind of had to know some of those words, which those were the only words that I understood. (laughs) Well, you remember your dictionary of curse words? You had a whole book of Russian curse words that you'd brought with you. Yeah, I did have that. I probably did more studying of that than my normal dictionary. (laughs) I remember some of our meetings... Uh, we would meet with the the teens from the Baptist church, like to, for our youth activities. We'd plan stuff at our house, and at one of the meetings, all these conservative Baptist kids are sitting around our living room, and then like they look at you know you weren't saying anything, you're just reading a book, and then one of them looks over at you and they're like, hey, what are you reading, Grant? And they look and the book, the cover of it, it just had the Russian word shit with an exclamation <laughs> point. Yeah, Zirmo. Yeah, that uh, and everyone cracked up. Like, what is up with Grant? Why is he reading a book called Shit? Yeah, and they, and they had never heard me speak any Russian before, but that was the only words that I knew from them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now me, I was I was really trying to avoid the bad words because I was the one who had to interface with the church people and and coordinate everything, and so I was really making an effort to keep it clean and and sometimes I would say bad words without knowing they were bad words. Yeah. Like one of the kids, I think he was one of your, your gutter punk friends, he uh, taught me a word once. And he said, hey, David, if you want to tell someone to just get out of here, tell them pizdui. And I wrote it down. I had my little notebook that I always carry in my back pocket. And I, I wrote it down in there. Pizdui means get out of here. And I thought it was just this cool slang word. And then I said it jokingly to Tonya, to the, <laughs> the church lady who, who let us go into her banya. And she just stared at me like, and I learned that that's a really rude word. Like it's from, from one of the four Ruski Mat that are just, just like the worst words, like so much worse than even the F word in English. Uh. And I said that to a church lady (laughs) and she was not happy. Yeah. So another thing that I, I said wrong a lot before somebody corrected me on it was this phrase. And the phrase to say, what have you been up to is Jim Tizanimaisa. Like, what's so up? Why you're saying is like, like, what's up? Yeah, it's like a cool way to say what's up. And literally, you're saying, with what have you been occupying yourself? And I, I got it mixed up at some point. And for like months, I was asking all these Baptist church women and uh, and like Orthodox priests I met and everything. I was saying, skim which that one little change from chim to skim, skim means with whom. And so when you say you're saying who have you been sleeping with lately? <laughs> and that's the question I was asking all these people. And it took me months before anybody corrected me and said, Hey David, people's sex life is none of your business. Yeah. And I had to figure out the hard way. <laughs> so I said a lot of bad words by accident. We these first few months we quickly realized that we were in over our heads. We were not prepared emotionally or just mentally to deal with such a culture change, Um, whether it was trying to learn the language and and saying stupid, silly things or accidentally offending people by saying, you know, something really horrible and offensive. 
or whether it was, you know, with water, something simple as water, the basics and not being able to get access to what we thought or had hoped was clean water. Um, the, the honeymoon had worn off for sure. The one thing that, uh, kind of straddled that and good things though, for me was the food. It was a little bit back and forth. And uh, I think next time we're going to talk a little bit about our loves and hates of our experiences in the Russian food. Is that right, Dave? That's right. I mean, once we discovered some of these amazing, delicious culinary delights in the food, that was the, the one thing that, that fed our soul, that kept us alive. And, and those little glimmering moments of happiness during those first few really hard months as we were trying to adjust to life there. Um, and Russian food still, it's something that we, that we love, that we seek out. We go looking for Russian restaurants all the time. And I even love mineral water now. I go looking for mineral water. We, uh, we may not have acquired a taste for body water, but we definitely acquired a taste for mineral water. And I, same thing here. I, I love that sound now, the of, uh, of yep. mineral water. Now I will drive to the Russian neighborhood in Los Angeles to look for a $5 bottle of that Russian mineral water because I love it so much. But still, I'm, I'm not crazy about corpse water. Yeah, and I was going to say, when you drive to that neighborhood in L.A., why don't you stay away from that hotel that you had the corpse water at, too? Okay, Dave? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll stay, stay clear of the corpse water for now. Love you.